Hello, hello, and welcome to my podcast, Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind. I am your host, Amanda Joy Loveland, and as always, I am thrilled to be here with you, especially today. This guest was so much fun. Um, I really, really enjoyed interviewing uh, my next guest, and it was fun because I never, you know, as a lot of my guests lately, I don't know their story at all, so it's, oh, it's just so much fun. It's like having a conversation and getting to know a new friend. So before I dive into that, I've got seven spots left for my retreat, my Unwind and Unbind retreat that is coming up March 17th through 20th down in Springdale, Utah. And this is a place that I have held all my retreats at so far because I absolutely adore Zions and the energy that is already there with the red rocks that are surrounding the home that we have the retreat at is Oh my gosh, just that alone. You just spending time in this house and being surrounded by the Red Rocks is just healing and nourishing alone, let alone the fact that we're going to have my absolutely beautiful friend Valerie giving massages and also meals being provided, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, And we'll also be having every day we have different experiential lectures type style. I don't even know how to explain it. But the way that I teach is very much through somatics, meaning, yes, we talk, yes, we have discussions, yes, we work through things, but there's a lived experience. There is, when we feel things in the body and we actually get to find our own answers, that's when true healing happens. There'll be shamanic principles that are that are utilized as well as NLP techniques and so many other things. So if you're feeling the call to do this, You need to snag your spot sooner than later. The link is in the bio or head over to my website, amandajoyleveland.com forward slash unbind. This is an all women's retreat on this one. Sorry, guys. It felt like this one got to be all women. So, and also I have, if you haven't taken my relationship course, my mini one yet, or the quiz, if you go through the quiz, you will get the free course. And I have actually a really stunning relationship course that launches on the 2nd of February that I can't wait to share with you all. And without further ado, let's launch into my next interview with this beautiful guest. Well, good morning, Carrie. I'm so, I'm so thrilled to be sitting with you and getting to meet you and get to know you and get to know your story. So thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. Today I'm sitting down with Carrie Rivera, correct? Yes. And you live in, in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yep. Re- recent move to Texas, but yeah. loving it here. <laughs> From Arizona, correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, so awesome. And I, this is one of the things that I love. I have a love-hate relationship with social media, right? Because, <laughs> you know, there's some negative things, but there's some really cool, positive things. For example, this, I get to connect with someone I've never met before, and you are sharing your story, and you're in Texas, and we get to do this over Zoom. and. Yeah. Have some really beautiful experiences. So again, thank you. Thank you for saying yes. And for stepping into this. Oh, my pleasure. So I, I know none of your story, which I love. <laughs> then we get to just have a conversation and you get to share with yeah. me, you know, the things that, that you've gone through. And yeah. I, so you were one of the ones when I had put a ask into one of the Facebook groups that we're both a part of, I, it's an, mm-hmm. isn't it empowered former LDS? What's the group called? Empowered former LDS. Yes. The group. So and for anybody listening, I'll cite that down the show notes. That's a great, very supportive, not super bashing group. 
Yeah. And I, you know, I think what's interesting is, you know, you mentioned kind of the pros and cons of social media and I think you get out of it what you bring into it. So you have to be really intentional about where you're going to focus, what you're going to put your attention on. And that's one of the things in the group. I'm an admin in the group. Oh, you um, are. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Actually, now that you say that, I think I did. I think I, now I'm remembering. Sweet. Well, and it's kind of interesting how that lined up with my story and what got me uh, to the point where I feel like, okay, it's time to to tell this a little more publicly because yeah. I've been in that group with, with Wendy for many, yeah. many years. We met through another like post-Mormon group before she started her own. And it was really interesting about um, about a year and a half ago, um, the group had this kind of explosion <laughs> through, oh, so cool. it was, it was the hashtag like give thanks thing. And mm-hmm. Wendy had a post that went viral and all of a sudden overnight we sprung up from like two, 300 people for years and years and years up to 1200, then to 2000. And it's just grown. So Wendy reached out to me at this point of, oh, the group is growing and I need help keeping eyes on things to make sure that we keep it a positive and empowering space. And it happened to coincide with a big faith challenge I was having. So it was the great opportunity to step up and be able to use my experience to help other people. And in doing that, I found myself staying more centered in my experience. So it's, it's a positive win-win anytime you get it out there. And it's, you know, like I'm coming at this because I want to help people, um, help grows, love grows, all those things just get bigger than anything. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think when we first connected, I noticed you were an admin, but I, I completely spaced it. So I am, I'm glad you brought that up. And it is the last, I just had an interview yesterday and that we had connected through the Facebook group too. And I, I kind of kicked myself later that I didn't mention the group because there are so many people that feel alone. So that's why I love Mm -hmm. doing this podcast, but it's a great resource to have for anybody who's looking just for a community of, Hey, I'm really struggling. And just that support group. It's a beautiful Facebook group that Wendy has started. So, Hey, yeah, well, good. I'm glad we (laughs) talked about that. Yay. (laughs) Oh, so tell me your, your story. What, what did make you say yes? Like I, it's time for me to share my story. Yeah. So my journey has been taking place over, I think it's like 14 years now. So Mm -hmm. kind of on that, like further end of the spectrum, I'm through the, the initial shock of it through the unwinding. Um, and honestly, I thought I was pretty much done with it. Um, but then two years ago, actually it was January of 2020, you know, the before times, right before everything (laughs) went nuts. I love that you said that the before times times. and then hopefully we'll have the after, (laughs) you know, I think it's going to be the different times because, you know, there's just so much stuff that's that's changed up and shaken up from, from that thing. And who knew, who knew like what was going to happen in January of 2020. Um, so innocently I went to a, uh, and again, I've been out of the church probably for, you know, 10 years at that point in time. And I went to a, like a cleansing yoga event Mm. with some of my girlfriends back in Phoenix. And, um, we get to the event and we have like crystals and we're meditating and the crystal I chose to meditate on has these actually right here. Hold on. It's has these, uh, has these two points on it. Oh yeah. That's a quartz, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. A nice mm-hmm. little cords. And I'd never really done anything like that before, but I'm like, sure, we'll flow with it. We'll see what's happening. And, and during the, the meditation, I wasn't expecting this, but I looked at it and I thought this crystal is, it's how I see myself. Mm-hmm. And we'd had a bunch to choose from, and this one had like called to me and it's like, I feel like 
in my life, there's everything that happened before I left the church. Mm -hmm. And then there's the me that happened after. And maybe it was a defense mechanism. Maybe it was a trauma response. Maybe it was any number of things, but I put a hard line in my life from pre and post. And in January of 2020, I thought, you know what? I really want to work on coming together and being whole and seeing myself as Mm -hmm. a whole person. And you know, getting to reclaim the things about myself that I really, really liked in that, but doing it for me and not for other things. So I set this intention in January and then the world exploded. <laughs> and, and, you know, before you, I know, just everything. everything so you happened. started this. Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> well, not exclusively, but there were probably more me's out there. Let's be real. This, this oh, 100%. 100%. But you know, so the whole world changes and everything kind of shifts and the kids come home and I'm having a really hard time. I'm working from home full time. We have three children that we adopted. So, um, so a little bit busy, but also it's been interesting in the process of adopting, learning more about trauma and how to help people heal from trauma and how to leverage your own experiences to help people. And, you know, all of this happens. I got depressed by like mm-hmm. June of 2020 because I'm a social person. And all of a sudden I'd cut off all of my social people interactions and, you know, you force an extrovert to go inside and it's not always the most comfortable thing. Um, So I actually ended up like doing some like antidepressants and things to try to help bridge the gap. And right as I'm stabilizing um, my dear husband, who is, was never a member of the church had gone to work at a really cool garage and the owner of the garage was, he was a cool Mormon. He was one of the neat, progressive, kind, approachable, lives in just such a great person guy. And then in August, they ended up doing a road trip and we're in a car for 24 hours. And my husband became interested in the church. Wow. <laughs> was And that's what coincided with Wendy's group exploding. And so I'm like, okay, all these things that I thought I had handled and processed and dealt with and were so far in the past oh, it turns out I still have some work to do on yeah. some things and figuring out how to, to keep those relationships. So um, yeah, 2020 was an interesting year mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for a bunch of reasons. But you know, what's happened though, like in the course of, of that time, um, I feel like it's given me an opportunity to put into practice things that I was theoretical about mm-hmm. or maybe had talked to other people about, but pushing myself to embrace and be love and focus on relationships over pain and triggers and hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the early part of this journey, there was a lot of pain and there were a lot of triggers and essentially what was coming up for me was I felt like my husband was choosing this church and this religion over me and my relationship and my feelings. I kept comparing it to like, what if I tried to go and date your ex? (laughs) Like, how would you feel? And he's like, it's not the same thing. And I was like, you're right. Cause it's worse. You know, there was a lot, there was a lot of, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a hard time. Sounds like, Oh, a lot, but you know, we, we pushed through it and it gave me an opportunity to push through it and trust in, in his love for me and, and go back into my own worthiness and say, you know what? Yeah, this is, it's a lot. And yet 
at the same time, I could see what was appealing for him. I could see the community, the support, the clear guidelines, all of these like structural pieces that were something to me. And I was like, you know, I've never been one to say like, oh, absolute, no, never, couldn't, blah, 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 blah. I, you know, like I have a standing joke with one of my female best friends who's still a member. I was like, hey, if the day comes that you can baptize me, I'll go. Like, (laughs) just because of all the things that would have to change for that to happen. Like, okay, sure. But, you know, (laughs) in the meantime, it's just, it it was a lot. But um, come January of 2021, my parents happened to be coming by for a visit. And my husband had set a baptismal date a couple of times and kind of postponed it, postponed it. And then my dad's coming through and I look at him and I'm like, okay, if you want my dad to baptize you, that would be a good, (laughs) a good thing. And it actually turned into kind of a, a healing moment for our family. So, mm. yeah. So your husband did get baptized. He did. And he's on his own journey with it and, you know, figuring things out on his own. Um, I've had to learn in very real ways to separate my thoughts and feelings about things from <laughs> the way he's experiencing things. But yeah, um, but yeah I mean, ultimately... It's, it gave me a chance to kind of like go back into some spaces and to see things with new eyes, like the eyes of a mother mm-hmm. and say, I know how I was raised in this. I know how I handled this. Is this like, first of all, is it still that way? Mm-hmm. And then secondly, is this something that I would knowingly and voluntarily introduce to my children? So one of the things we came to early on was I was like, listen, I don't want to get the kids involved until you're more certain about what it is and what you want it to look like in your life. And then we can work on if that's going to happen. So, um, but a very interesting process to go through, like thinking about, you know, and, uh, and maybe that leads into like my story. So what is it? Oh, well, this is a beautiful part of your story. Holy cow. Like I can imagine, I mean, see stories like this to me, as I am witnessing it, it's like, the universe works in such magical, beautiful, frustrating ways sometimes. Yeah. And, and yet it sounds like some really amazing growth that you had through all of those experiences, even though <laughs> not fun. Right. I like that. I'm going to write that down. Like what is an amazing, magical, beautiful, frustrating. <laughs> right. It's like, and it's all that paradoxical you know, here's the paradox. You're mm-hmm. stepping out and now your husband's like, what in the hell? Yeah. It's been really, and I will tell you, it has been really fun too. Like I've gotten to yeah. a point where I'm playing with it now. So um, okay. we'll invite missionaries over for, you know, different things. We actually had them over on Christmas day. Cause no one had signed up for it. We're like, I was like, bring them over. I'll make them a care package. We made a roast, you know, like did all the things. And so these, these sweet little, these sweet little tender young men, <laughs> Come into mm-hmm. the house, and uh, you know they're talking to they're new because so, they change over all the time, and um, you know they're talking to my husband, and they're like, "So, Sister Rivera, you've been a member your whole life," and I was like, "Well, actually, I'm an ex." Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then to share that with them, like just from a plain factual standpoint, and let mm-hmm. them let them have an experience with someone who left the church and is not evil, right, and can still support that. Yeah, mm-hmm. for yeah, sure, exactly. Oh. I love that. So were you born and raised in the Mormon religion then? Yes, I was, I was born and raised and, but not in a, so my parents were both converts. 
Mm-hmm. And so we weren't like Mormon stock. We weren't pioneer stock. I actually kind of remember being sad about that when I was a kid. Oh. Um, <laughs> Cause you weren't the true blue. Right. Right. Yeah. I wasn't, I didn't have any pioneer ancestry, but uh, my mom was from South Carolina and mm-hmm. she joined the church when she was eight years old and her mom had the missionaries knocked on the door. Her mom like interviewed them. Half of the eight kids joined. My grandpa never joined, but they went to the church and it was a good like social structure for her in South Carolina and weird and different. Cause you know, they're all Baptist mm-hmm. down there, but, yeah. um, and then my dad was from California. <laughs> so, uh-huh. and his interesting story is that he was 10 when some neighbors invited them over for a family home evening and his parents believed like, they're like, yeah, this is a good church, but we just can't stop smoking and drinking. But Hey kids, if you want to join. So two of their three kids joined. Oh, interesting. Um, And so my dad's rebellious teenage years were spent doing things like getting rides to activities and biking to seminary. (laughs) Um, And then when he was 18, he baptized his parents and at 19, they all went through the temple together right before he left on a mission to Korea. Oh, wow. So, Korea. Oh, my Korea. goodness. Yeah. And a Korea in the 70s, which was interesting. And they like this is it. it it's funny. I, like I, I thought about, like, does this relate? Is this my story? But in addition to all of the expectations and things that we're born with when you're just born Mormon, there's a really strong myth to my family. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm still like kind of like picking apart and unpacking. So my dad goes to Korea and um, the mission president decided that they needed to have more awareness of the church's name because nobody knew the church's name. So early seventies, how do you do this? You form a musical performing group like Donnie and Marie or something. So they put together a boy band Oh (laughs) my goodness. In Korea. In Korea. Basically my dad is like OG K-pop. So sorry, slash you're welcome, (laughs) depending on where you fall on that. Um, Oh my gosh. This is awesome. (laughs) But these, these five young white missionaries from America go in. um, My dad could sing and play the trumpet and that got him a spot in the band. Um, But they did radio. They did TV. My dad's Korean was good. So he was on a radio show every morning in downtown Seoul. Um, They did two record albums. And like the whole time it was, you know, they would say, oh, you missionaries are tall. Yes. All the missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are tall. (laughs) Oh, do missionaries like kimchi? Yes. All the missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints like kimchi. kimchi. So it was it was the marketing play and it worked because. Um, in the three years that the group was together, it went from like no awareness to 70% awareness and people would uh-huh. invite missionaries into their home. They'd be like, Oh, we saw you on TV last night. Come in. Like, you know, there was, it was, it was a very effective tool. So how interesting. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So my dad does this and, um, after his mission. So at the time they had a language training mission at BYU Hawaii. And so he had stopped there on his way out. And then he was invited to come back and join the show choir when he returned to BYU Hawaii. So he started school there, fall of 76. He meets this girl. She's um, really nice, but she's waiting on a missionary who's coming home in December. And my my dear sweet dad says, well, if you, if it doesn't work out to, to marry this guy, then I'm here. Like, I'd like to date you. But she took it as I'm here. We'll, we'll get married. Ooh. Yeah. And so she goes home at Christmas. And they, she doesn't, doesn't work out with the missionary. And she says, okay, like it's on, we're getting married. 
And they both felt very strongly that she should move in with his parents in California and plan their June wedding, which is convenient because meanwhile, my mother had gone to Rick's college for two years, BYU for a year and a half, and then was spending her final semester in Hawaii because why not? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, and oh, I'm in Hawaii, might as well join the show choir. So they met in the show choir, like Showcase Hawaii at BYU Hawaii. Um, and they became friends and they were really good friends. And my dad starts to get concerned because of course his mission president said to marry your best friend. So he calls his mom, he's trying to break it off with other girl, but grandma's like, oh no, you just got cold feet. Well, the day comes that my mom is going to fly to Provo to walk in their graduation and their branch president comes by and is like, oh, I need to see you guys. And they're like, okay, uh, well, we can go talk. He's like, no, no, I need the keys to my office. He interviews them separately and together to get a recommend to be sealed for time and all eternity. Knowing that my dad was engaged, knowing that my mom was thinking about going on a mission after graduation. And so they go out and they're like, uh, my dad's like, well, will you marry me? And she's like, well, you know, I will. So basically Mm. the family story is God told my parents to get married. Yeah. (laughs) And, And so they obeyed and they did that. And I am the oldest child born to this couple that God directed to get married and form an eternal family. So, you know, in addition to some of those standard beliefs and expectations that you're born in the church and you're fortunate to be born in the church and born to the truth, like there was a very specific reason I knew my whole life that I was supposed to be here. There was some thing, (laughs) some Mm -hmm. reason um, that God wanted me here in this church with this family. So uh, when I think about like questioning and doubts, like I, I knew, like I did, I never even knew that doubting was an option because it was just who I was. Yeah. Wow. What are your parents still married? Are they still Mormon? Mm -hmm. Yep. They are still married and they are still Mormon. So, and, and very much and the rest of my family, I have five younger brothers and they are all still, you know, in the church. And so that's, that's, you know, step one in, in disentangling from the church is figuring out what, what was church and what was family, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and trying to pick those things apart. And it's, it's a challenge, especially when they're still in. And again, you can approach it with empathy and understanding and knowing that they're in, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting process for sure. No kidding. So yeah. what did start your unraveling? Um, the massive amounts of good in this world. <laughs> so interesting. I just yeah. so am enjoying this conversation. It's just, <laughs> you're so fun to listen to. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And, you know, and that sounds silly, but I, I think that while I was in, there was no amount of like evidence or, negativity that could have breached the wall. Um, but for my own experience, you know, and, and it had to be things that I experienced, things that happened to me, for me, around me, and then pushed in that direction. So, you know, raised in the church, had all the callings, did all the things, uh, went to BYU Hawaii. And when I, I graduated from there, that was, um, I was the editor of the school newspaper there, so very highly involved. That was the first time I was a Relief Society president. Um, I moved back home, still trying to figure out my life, because, of course, I was supposed to get married there, and I failed at that. And so I had no clue, like, at, at 21, what do I do? I don't know. I'm an old maid. And oh, Yes, 21 years <laughs> so old. 
right? Huh? Um, but literally, like when I graduated, I graduated four days after my 21st birthday. Mm-hmm. And like, I literally thought my life was over because I was like, what? I have no plans for what to do next. And um, so that was a rough time and a rough year. But, um, you know, I just... <laughs> Uh, so I, I moved home and then a few years later decided that I needed to have a change of scene. So I ended up going to Charleston, South Carolina, which was lovely and tons of fun and felt like a, it felt like a series on one of the old like WB shows because there was a singles branch. It was, it was literally like seasons and episodes. And we realized that while we were in it, we're like, wow, this is really cool. But um, (laughs) episode 282 will Jimmy ask Jane to the dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. more like episode three, where you wait up late for a friend to come home from a dance and they don't come home. But then when the other friend is leaving, they accidentally run over a deer and you have to chase oh. them down because their cell phone died. Like that kind of episodic <laughs> stuff. Like, you know, oh. it, it was, I, you can't make this stuff up. I started to write it down once and I'm like, man, I am not even that creative. That's <laughs> but, funny. Wow. But it was what I wanted. It was social and it was interactive. And I was there for six years. But over the course I was there, um, that was the time when I became a temple ordinance worker. Because, of course, the goal was still to get married. And Charleston had a nice influx of, you know, college students and military and all these people Mm -hmm. who were coming through. So it's always like, I I feel like I should do a blanket apology to anyone I knew in that era, like any male who was a Mormon. Because, yes, I sized you up to see if you could be my eternal companion. That was all. That's where I was. That was always the lead. That was always the goal. (laughs) All the meals I cooked for you guys, all the brownies. Like this is That's why. that That was it. And all of you failed, but thank you for failing. Um, so, you know, we, we go through, we like, you know, had the fun life, but um, it was very like interesting and insular and, and just a lot of really strong bonds and connections that came out of that time. And the probably, I mean, definitely the greatest bond that came out of that time was meeting my friend, Amanda who became mm-hmm. one of my best friends. And she was an adventurer and someone who I like her already. I know she's, um, but she, you know, was an engineering student at Clemson and lived in in Charleston and came back, was back and forth. And um, she wanted to go swim with the sharks on the Great Barrier Reef. So she signed up to do a semester in Australia and do that thing and come back and just a glorious person. And one day she was lamenting, she had a crush on this guy and was lamenting her crush on this guy. And I was like, oh, that's really sad. He's giving you mixed signals and doesn't seem to like you back. And I was like, my brother's coming home from his mission in September. You need to meet him. And she was like, okay, cool. So I introduced her to my brother on his birthday in, I think it was 2006, 2005. And they got married that June, the following June. Um, And so, and he was like fresh home from his mission, but I just knew, I was like, these two people, like, no, they're going to click. They're going to connect. So um, he was out at BYU Hawaii. She went back with him while he finished up. Um, And so, but what, I mean, eventually came of that, I don't know where to like to go in, in timeline and order of things, but um, Charleston ended up getting rough. Like I reached the age of 29 I had still never kissed anyone like I, as much as I pushed and tried, and I was really good at putting couples together. I was like known as the matchmaker. I had like 20 couples that I taught temple prep to that I got off to the temple and I had kind of a breakdown moment because 
all of a sudden I was 10 years older than the people who were coming up, who were starting college. I had nothing in common with them except for being single. Hmm. And all of a sudden, instead of church being a place where I filled my cup up, it became a drain. Hmm. And I started to wonder what else. And I started to get really depressed, like at, at that stage. And Um, you know, I started thinking, okay, maybe I need to like figure some different things out. And I had some like friends who were good Mormon friends and they were like, we're going to go have a couple drinks and we think you should come with us. And I was like, okay, might as well, might as well try this thing and see what happens. And the world didn't end. And I didn't incinerate when I went into church the next day. And I was like, well, what's, what's up with that? Like nobody could see that I'd done this thing. Like it was, it was, yeah, like a mind breaking moment. Um, and then like that kind of progressed, I ended up dating, like finally kissing someone. We never really dated, but I finally kissed someone. He wasn't a member, but check done, got that off the list. It was fine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but in the middle of that, like I had no compass or barometer. I didn't know what to do. I was having Mm. a true crisis of faith because all of a sudden I was at that place where what was expected and, and what I was just were not fitting together anymore. And when I was in Charleston, I'd lost 120 pounds. I was running marathon, like I ran a half marathon. I was very physically active, Pilates three times. Like I was doing all these things. I'd gotten everything in my life, like organized and ordered up as much as I possibly could. I actually had cosmetic surgery to remove excess skin from the weight Mm. loss, done everything I could do. And it was still not enough. It was crushing. Mm. It was still not getting me the thing that I thought I wanted most in the world. So, um, a little bit of a faith crisis and by a little bit, I mean a lot, a lot and yeah. there was a person who took advantage of this, someone who knew that I had a couple of drinks and I was like, you know, experimenting with some social things and used that in a way that I didn't realize because I'm innocent and I don't know, but I ended up losing my virginity when I was raped. Mm-hmm. And it oh, took, I'm so sorry. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It took 10 years for me to admit that that's what that was. It yeah. took national attention saying, oh, by the way, if you're drunk, you can't consent before I could really process through, because I thought I had just made a, a sexual sin mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was, you know, and I went and talked to my Bishop like the next day and I handed him my recommend and I'm like, oh, I can't, I don't know. And they of course treated it like, yeah, you sinned. And, you know, and that just kind of like further drove a wedge. And so Charleston kind of exploded for me. And I had a friend offer me a free move to Phoenix. And I was like, I just got to go. I got to get someplace new. I got to refresh. And mm-hmm. once I was in Phoenix, I, I worked my way back into the church and looking back, I think it was more of a comfort and familiarity, but there were singles wards full of young professionals who I had things in common with and who I aligned with. Um, in Phoenix, I got hired at Make-A-Wish America as a corporate alliances manager, mm-hmm. which was the most fun job. <laughs> like, oh, so you know, cool. <laughs> it's, it was awesome. It was, you know, working with companies to use the Make-A-Wish brand. So if you donate a dollar, you know, we'll give you a coupon, like all kinds of fun stuff. But, you know, I got to work with like GameStop and Build-A-Bear and all these fun things. So all these this stuff starts to work in place. I'm back in church. I'm working for Make-A-Wish. I get my temple recommend back. I worked for a year, read, read the miracle of forgiveness, which wasn't nearly as helpful <laughs> as focusing on reading from the New Testament. And I remember having a moment of starting to really like see people. Like I would see a homeless person sitting at a, at a bench, at a bus bench on the side of the road and think, wow, like that person is a God. 
and, and mm-hmm. seeing people for their divine insides by reconnecting to some of those stories in the New Testament and Christ and how he saw people. And I was like, that was a healing moment. And I get my recommend back. And one month later, um, my sister-in-law now, Amanda, was killed in a car accident. Oh, I'm so sorry. So it was, you know, all of these things kind of like swirling together and, you know, like, like happening. And I was so grateful to have my faith intact at that moment because it was a great thing to lean on. Yeah. Um, and I tell you, from from an energy perspective, I've never felt more wrapped up in love than mm-hmm. I did during that phrase in my life. And you could tell like like thousands of people praying for you. She was just one of these glowing souls. And, you know, I, I fly back to Charleston for the for the funeral and there's, you know, 2000 people in the stake center and. Mm-hmm you know, like so much just like love and mourning my, my brother. And so, and she had, she had a 15 month old daughter at the time and was pregnant with their second. So just huge, like, like the absolute saddest moment of my life was watching my younger brother. We ended up burying her on his 25th birthday. So it was exactly four years to the date from the day I introduced them to this life experience now. And, you know, they, cause they'd finished up in Hawaii and moved back home with her parents in Charleston. That's how things kind of like shaped up, but it was, it was just, it was the absolute worst tragedy of, of our lives trying to figure this out. And yet through that tragedy, the thing that was in the church that gave us the most comfort was this concept of eternal families and having mm-hmm. them sealed together. And, I mean, people are talking to my brother about how he's a patriarch because he's going to have more than one wife sealed to him. And, you know, these things for a 25-year-old kid who just lost his wife, but, yeah, you know, yeah. um, but it was comforting because we fully, fully, like everybody believed and embraced it. So, um, so that was really, really hard. And I think that event was the one that marked mm, the beginning of my faith transition. So it was a crisis work my way back into the church and then more of a process of unpacking and transitioning out. Why do you think, why do you feel like that was kind of the turning point for you, especially experiencing the comfort of the Mormon religion, the love that you were wrapped in? I'm curious what it was that kind of started pushing that over the edge. So it was really great and amazing in the moment, like in the moment of the big tragedy and in the way that people came around. Um, but after that moment, it became, I'd say, increasingly less satisfying and fulfilling. Mm. So, you know, I went into counseling after that too. And it also kind of coincided with when I was turning 31 and transitioning out of the singles ward. So there was a lot of transition happening yeah, <laughs> at yeah. that time too. And I had a really great counselor who was like helping me learn to see myself and celebrate myself and celebrate my accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was in this weird position where my job was something doing this really great, incredible good in this world. And like, I'm a 31 year old woman doing these great things, raising millions of dollars for an awesome cause and da, 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 da. And like all these things. And everywhere in my life, I felt good about myself, except when I went to church on Sunday mm-hmm. and at church on Sunday, as a single woman in a family ward, it just didn't like, I felt unneeded. I felt like, you know, and, and I was in a great ward. There were awesome, progressive, like very cool people. 
And yet it was like, there just isn't anything here for me. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking at, I looked at Amanda and the way she lived her life and the way that she, you know, went for the things that she wanted. And I started to think the answer of, oh, well, you're not married. So just, just stay valiant and we'll fix it in the next life. Having her gone at such a young age taught me that I don't want to wait for that. I don't want to wait for the next life when I'm alive now and what's here now in the present. What are the things that, you know, I'm missing out on <laughs> because yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing that. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of where it was. And then I was like, okay, let me try moderate Mormonism for a little while. But the more I started to see with like the wishes and all these amazing, wonderful coworkers who I was with at Make-A-Wish. And I was like, you know, these people, they're, they're good people. <laughs> like, who am I to be so like closed up and judgy? And what am I missing by not just relaxing and, and being here in life? And um, yeah, that really, that really kind of like opened it up. It, that was the start of it. It was, it had to be, it had to be that real and that personal and part of like, because it was so personal for me and what drove me there, like, that's the part of me that says, you know, I don't have any desire to try to convince or deconvert or tell somebody what they should believe or that I've solved a problem they haven't or whatever. All I know is for me and for my experiences, this is where I'm landing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So from that point and kind of starting to pivot it a little bit more. How long was it until you decided, you know what, I'm just, I'm done. It was, let's see, from that point, it was probably another two years before I officially removed my records. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd stopped attending because that didn't really feel like what I wanted to do with my time on Sundays. Um, and it was kind of amazing. As soon as I stopped being so all in, um, a good friend of mine who was a coworker, who was one of the people who hosted happy hours and was this very social, really nice outgoing guy ended up being interested in me, which shocked me because, you know, my, my friend, my friend over here, my friend, Dan, like, well, I would uh, already eaten wings in front of him, you know, like there was no mystery. There was no like trying to impress him or build up walls. Like he was already well behind the walls before I realized like, oh crap, that's a, that's an interested party. But, um, so we started dating <laughs> pretty quickly and, and, and in the middle of, of like, cause it, and it was after I stepped out. Cause you know, he had looked at me and he had been interested in me before, but then when he learned I was Mormon, he was like, Oh, nope, that's never going to work. So never mind. So we were literally just friends for a long time. Um, which I think is one of those misconception pieces. Like, you know, I've never told my story in full on Facebook or on social media or whatever, because quite frankly, it's mine and I don't need to, why do I need to like drum up drama around these things? People who see the pictures pick up on things, but I think part of the reason I wanted to tell is like, you know, I don't want the assumptions around my story. Like I was, these were the experiences. These were the things in my heart and it wasn't, it wasn't a desire to sin. It wasn't a desire to go out and start doing these bad, horrible things. Mm -hmm. It was, it was recognizing and checking in and acknowledging with myself. And then once I got more honest with myself, opportunities opened up. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a closing. It was, 
I'm open to things coming in. I remember having a thought once before I was fully out, like, oh, wait, God designed your body to feel good when it has sex. Maybe God wants me to have a good sex life. Like, like (laughs) thoughts, like, you know, wait, what? Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Okay. I just have to, I just have to little, I have to add this in here. I recently learned that there are several Mormons and it could be other religions that when they get married, they believe that sex is through the belly button and doctors have commented in this. It's a woman that a friend of mine shared it with me. This woman has a very large following and something she had posted led to all these people sharing these stories. And I'm not kidding you. People have thought that sex intercourse is through the belly button. So they come into the doctor's offices with bruised and battered bellies and hernias and all sorts of things because they're legit trying to conceive and to have sex. And it's miserable. Anyway, so I just, I'm like, it was so like, wait, what? There are people like this in the world that really think anyway. Just putting that there for a minute. If you guys are interested, I'll cite, um, I I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but I'll put it down in the show notes. If you want to go see her stories, it's on her stories. It says belly button. Oh my gosh. What? Well, but I I think that actually that highlights something that I didn't realize was so relevant to my story, but here's some more stuff. But like, you know, it's, I think that we've done a huge, massive disservice in how we're raising this generation to think about sex and sexuality and you know, the process of being human. I, um, when I was 12 years old, I was having a slumber party with a friend and they taught me what masturbation was. I didn't know anything about it. They, they called it, they called it getting horny. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Whatever this is. Um, but I was like, Oh, well, that's interesting. And it was two years later when I was sitting in a darkened Sunday school room, watching the very key from, I think it was Boyd K. Packer did the old film strip. And that's, it's one of the notorious ones where they've edited what's out there now, but I know they sat there and told like me that if I touched myself, I would become gay and like all these things. Oh yeah. I've never even heard of this video for me. It was the Bishop coming in and doing the, you know, morality conversation when you're 12, you're, you know, now they got to rate with it, but in young women's, I was a beehive. Mm-hmm. And I, I had masturbated up until that point. I didn't know. I thought it was just natural. Like it's a yeah. normal thing. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> oh crap, I, you know, at 12 years old, I am a sinner. I'm horrible. I had to go into my bishop's mm-hmm. office. I carried guilt and shame and yeah. Same but I've never thing. heard. Yeah. I've never heard of that video. Oh yeah. And it, it was like, do not arouse these feelings in yourself or others. And oh. I mean, it was just, it was this whole, like really shame. And here I was, I'd already done it. And I was in, you know, a small youth group in South Carolina and I was the good kid, like me and my cousin. So six kids in my family, we grew up next door to six cousins. So we were like the anchors of good Mormon kids. We were very insulated. We were kind of scared. At least I was scared to like have any extra friends because they're going to corrupt <laughs> you. But like, you know, we, we were like, like this and you know, and then there were other kids who we hit high school and they're having sex and going out and getting pregnant. And, and so I felt immense pressure, not just from church, but from like my, you know, all these people in my ward who were like my aunts and uncles, cause I'd been with them for forever. Mm. And I felt like I could never go and tell that Bishop that I had this horrible sin. So, you know, I remember going to youth activities and we'd have like, you know, one where they, 
uh, simulated a plane crash and like, okay, now you're dead. And now we're going to go to, you know, the three kingdoms. And I hope you are in this kingdom of glory. I don't know if you ever heard of that one, but you know, I'm not and, heard and of that one. We did the iron rod and we would be tempted and don't let go of the iron rod. We did that thing. Yeah. I mean, the, it's all, it's all kind of the same stuff, but this was, this was particularly when I look back, I was like, that's kind of messed up because you know, you, you have everyone <laughs> pretend they're going on a flight to Hawaii and then you crash them all dead. And you're like, how'd you live your life? And I remember going home from some activity sometimes and like at 16 thinking I would be better off if I just drove my car off the side of the road and died because oh. I'm not going to make it anyways. And it'd be easier and better than like trying to fix this and trying to like do this. So you know, aside from having very limited understanding of like your body and what's natural, it wasn't until I was in my late thirties and doing the classes to become a foster parent to adopt that I learned that masturbation is natural and normal from the time you're in the womb. Like it is a natural and that, cause they have mm-hmm. to teach you like what's normal and what's excessive because excessive can cue that there's some things that need to be addressed for kids from right. various backgrounds, but you know, and, and I remember leaving that class and being so angry. I'm like, why did I feel suicidal over something that is normal and natural? Yeah. Like how, you know, it's, it, it's, it's hard to explain for somebody who's on the outside looking in how much that messaging is built into, it, it almost feels like pushed into your DNA, and how well, much the, to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> what's the scripture that says the natural man is an enemy to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah. And anyway, this could be, yeah. we could have a whole other podcast <laughs> we, about, we this. could go, we could go. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So back to, back to where I was with kind of like, you know, opening myself up to the possibility that there's more good in the world than this one thing that I've assigned my life to. I, I volunteered on a wish for mm-hmm. a kid who had a brain tumor And we were given two weeks to grant the wish before he wouldn't really be able to understand what was going on. And, you know, we go in and we get, we, we always do like, kind of like number one. And then like, okay, what's your second backup choice if we can't make this happen. And the kid's number one wish was a celebrity wish to meet his favorite director. And I was just like, Oh, please let this be a quick no, because sometimes you could be waiting six months a year to hear back from a celebrity. And this was someone who was a very sophisticated director. So we'd never done a wish with them before. Um, But we got back a quick yes for this kid. And it was going to be a Skype thing. But then at the last minute, he was like, no, I'm going to come in. So he flew himself from New York to Phoenix, like on a private jet. And Hmm. like, and this is something that is like, they don't publicize. This is not anything that anybody ever talked about. This was just the, the person meeting the kid. And being in the room with that family when that happened was the most amazing moment of pure person-to-person connection. Like the director mentioned like this random obscure movie and the kid starts humming a song from the movie because he had watched it because he knew that he was inspired by that movie. Like, like just, you know, it was like a masterclass and the family recorded it. So they have it all saved and preserved forever. Um, the director kept sending gifts <laughs> back to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but the coolest thing was at the end of the visit, they'd asked about the family's religious affiliation and they were Catholic. Um, and this director had studied to be a priest at one point in time. And so he presented the kid's mom with a rosary that had been blessed by the Pope, wow. which you have to have an audience with the Pope to get. And every time I went back with more gifts and more things, it was hanging on his bed. She was wearing it. The family invited me to pray with him 
And I went to pray and they prayed the rosary, which kind of blew my mind because I'd been taught to vilify that. Again, grew up in the 80s when when the Catholic church was the whore of all the earth. And, And I'm sitting here and in that hospital room, praying with that family, I had a spiritual experience that rivaled and was in alignment with the time I spent as an ordinance worker in the temple. It wasn't less than, it wasn't temporary, it wasn't a one-off, it was the same. And that was the moment when I could no longer let my life be dedicated to this absolute one thing when there was so much good out in the world. And that was that was kind of the end of believing in the one, the one true church. But yeah, the only true church. Wow, what a beautiful story. Yeah. So did you marry, is that your husband? The story yes. of the guy? The yeah, visit? the one guy. The one I know guy we, that, got, we got yeah, distracted, we got, but I really, I'm like, yeah, I'm no, curious. Thanks for going that. back to that. Yeah. yeah. So we got married. Um, and, and I'll tell you what was interesting in that too, just like the 30 second version of it is, it, you know, in the first couple of years were really, really, really difficult. And I, as I've like unpacked a little more, I realized that's what happens when you have someone who, is kind of an emotionally stunted adult who seems to be fully functioning, but I never learned how to do this on my own. And learning that with another person was a different, unique challenge. But, you know, yeah. it's it's really amazing, like looking back. And one of the biggest things that stood out to me when he first started investigating the church and we would go and I went a couple of times and then I ended up not going because I'd get really crabby afterwards. Um, and so we're like, like I've been you, here, done that. I'm done. Let me just, it stresses me out, but sitting there in a, in a chapel, this was a good moment, like sitting in a chapel and hearing people talk about, um, you know, if you just read the scriptures, if you just pray, if you just stay true to the faith, just you will have everything you wanted. And I'm sitting there on a, on a, on a row with the husband I always wanted. And with three beautiful, amazing children and a nice home. And now like, and things just keep getting better. And I, and I could, I literally was like, I know, I know, I know that is not the case. I know that Mm -hmm. I know that I would not have everything I wanted if I had stayed on that Mm -hmm. course. So that is a (laughs) awareness to be like, oh, and that's not true. And, and that's, I I see why you say that. I see why you believe that. And yet I, I can't go against the evidence of my life that this is where I am. Oh, wow. What a, what a, what a beautiful story. And again, I just love listening to you. You're great. Like I'm just like encapsulated. So I, <laughs> I just, I love, I love, love, love this. Is there anything that you, as you were thinking about what you wanted to share and what you wanted to say, is there anything else that you feel like is really something that is important for you to share? Yeah, I think, um, a lot of times, and in seeing all the people that I've seen transition out of the faith, there's so much confusion. And I feel like there's an immediacy that comes, like, especially when you're in the early stages of a faith transition where you're like, well, I left there, left this. So what's going on? What did it like? You know, there's, there's a, almost like a frantic feeling of you're falling because you are cutting ties and losing like a lot of the structure and stability and security. And the place that I've gotten with my faith now and gradually over many years, but if you could take a shortcut with this, by all means do, um, (laughs) right. (laughs) Is right. I, I believe in things that are true 
whether or not I believe in them. So that's become the marker that I use. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the more I explore that it's energy seems to be the lowest common denominator because it's science and it's spirit and it's putting out and getting back and transfer and motion and your bodies and everything else can kind of like, and I bet there's a lot of things we still assign to religion that are probably just science we haven't figured out yet. Um, but to me, believing in things that are true, that don't require your belief to be true are the things you can trust in. And maybe sometimes that's just your breath. <laughs> maybe sometimes it's just the fact that you woke up this morning, but yeah. it'll be okay. rises every day. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we have such good sunsets here. <laughs> mm, I love that. Well, and that is beautiful wisdom and kind of, I mean, you already kind of said it, but is there advice that you give and seems to be consistent advice you give, especially since you're admin to that group, but is there something that, you know, as people are listening to this and they may be going through their own faith crises and struggling, what would be a piece of advice you'd give them? I mean, struggle is evidence of something that needs your attention. Mm-hmm. So don't, be afraid of struggling. Don't be afraid of being afraid. (laughs) Like, like all the feelings are natural and normal. Um, There are no bad feelings. Anger is okay. I'm still figuring out how to use anger. That's another one of those things that my poor husband has been like the guinea pig on. (laughs) I'm not good at it because I stuff it and bottle up and guess what guys, that's unhealthy. Um, (laughs) So, you know, uh, learning to, to change your relationship with your feelings and, and that's, I think, part of learning to trust your feelings, that mm-hmm. everything is given to you to teach you, to show you. Um, you've still got to put work into it, but, you know, it, it's all about the trajectory. And, and the longer you can practice feeling comfortable just moving in a direction, I feel, for me at least, the less I've been focused on, now where am I going? Because, <laughs> you know, I still have ideas and I have goals and I have things that I want to do, but there's a lot more flow to, I don't have to know all the answers right now. Mm-hmm. So give yourself some patience, give yourself some grace. It's okay to feel the things you're not alone. A lot of people have felt them. Um, do what you need to do to support yourself. Whatever you need to do to support yourself is okay right now. Mm-hmm. If you if you need blanket permission, it's all okay. Here's your permission. Oh, Here it I is. Yes, <laughs> I love that. And one of the things that I uh, find very helpful, especially with our feelings with our emotions, is they are just tools. They are tools yeah. that are showing us something. And when we suppress it, it actually, speaking of energy, it actually suppresses the energy that's trying to move. You're, you're stopping it. And like yeah. anything, you know, if you were to stop blood flow, you would no longer, your hand would have to be cut off because there's no blood flow to the hand. And it's similar in energy. That's emotions. It's energy in motion is there for yeah. a reason. It's trying to move through. It actually fuels the body gives it energy. And when we suppress it, it'll cause brain fog and all sorts, all sorts of things. So that's something that I've always found helpful as far as how I like to visualize energy is actually, Oh, this is just energy in motion. Why is this coming up? What does it need? You know, what's it showing me? I love that you said struggle is evidence that something needs attention. It's like, this, the same thing. I have anger coming up. Why am I feeling angry? Why am I holding it? Yeah. 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 So beautiful. Oh, Thank you. Is there anything else that you feel like you want to share? I think that, and you know, aside from just expressing my love for people, I, you know, I I think that maybe it's important to say that 
there was a point in my journey early in the days when I was in my super struggle reactive phase mm-hmm. that I felt some pretty intense guilt over all the people that I taught temple prep to mm-hmm. over all the people that I assisted as an ordinance worker in the temple. I was an escort for friends. Mm-hmm. There were people who did things and said they only did them because I promised them it was the thing to do. And I felt really, really bad about that. So you know, and yet I'm like, at this point in time, I realized like I was doing the best I could with what I had. I was doing Mm -hmm. the best. And who's to say that it hasn't been a great thing for them and for their lives. So um, maybe just kind of a blanket apology if if there's anyone that that ever caused harm or pain to, Um, but then also open arms and a loving welcome to any one of those people. I, I started to think about maybe there's people who I didn't know along the way who are now struggling with their faith journey and feel like they can't do anything about it. You're not stuck. You're fine. You have mm-hmm. choice. You can do this. You can make the choices for your life. Even if I promised you not to, it was, <laughs> it was never about me. It was about what you needed to hear at the time. So, and they yeah, had a like, choice yeah. of whether they yeah. listened. And if they took that to heart, that was their Precisely. choice. Precisely. Yeah. Continued yeah, permission okay. to listen to yourself is yeah. <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, Carrie, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a pleasure it's been to chat with you and to get to spend time. And I have no doubt that your stories will really be impactful to a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you for what you're doing here. I I love the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's been fun. Unexpected, but super, super fun. So (laughs) I love it. Wasn't she so fun to listen to? Her way of communicating and storytelling, oh my gosh, it was just captivating. Thank you, as always, for joining me. If you are feeling the call to share your story, please reach out. You can email me, Amanda, or AJ at amandajoyco.com, or go to my social media sites and message me there. And while we're on that topic, make sure you're following my social media sites to be one of the first to know when I am launching different things. And speaking of that, I almost forgot... I have one spot left for a three-month immersive program that I offer, and I don't open up spots very often, and currently I have one spot open, and the three-month immersive program is really a results-driven program where we start with a beginning map, so to speak, and by the time you're done through the three months, you really have, you have results that you can see and tangible results. And really going into those places and unbinding and unwinding and breaking the chains that are holding you back and those limiting beliefs, letting those go of whatever it is that you're carrying so that you can really truly fulfill what you're here to do. We do one-on-one weekly sessions and there's so many other things that are involved with this. If you're interested in this, you're as I'm talking, this is you that is like, hell yep, that's my spot. I need to claim that. Message me, or again, you can email me at aj at amandajoyco.com. And as always, know that you're not alone. I've had some really beautiful messages that have come through just with people that have been listening to these podcasts and just the comfort and support and the joy that it's bringing them. And I appreciate every single one of you that has taken the time out of your day to share that with me. It really means a lot. So wherever you are in the world, Just a reminder, you're not alone. You've got this and you will 100% navigate through it and get on the other side. And with that, sending you all so much love.